My daughter asked me last night, she's like, what are you preaching on, Dad? Because she was leading worship today. And by the way, I'm kind of proud of that. She's going back to college this week. If, if you don't know me, that was my daughter, Abby. She was awesome. And so she, you know, she's trying to get a feel, you know, of how to, how to close out the service and song. She said, what are you preaching on next week or tomorrow? And I said, 2 Kings chapter 4. And she went, ugh. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, man, wow, okay. Um, but I think it's going to be good, man. I'm, I'm excited about it. But hey, here's the title of my message, The God Who Provides Leftovers. The God Who Provides, Le- provides Leftovers. We're going to read the whole passage today. And uh, at the end, I'll present it as the the word of the Lord, and you can respond, thanks be to God, if you so choose to. Second Kings chapter 4, starting with verse 42. One day a man from Baal Shalisha brought the man of God a sack of fresh grain and 20 loaves of barley bread made from the first grain of his harvest. Elisha said, give it to the people so that they can eat. What, his servant exclaimed, Feed a hundred people with only this? But Elisha repeated, Give it to the people so they can eat. For this is what the Lord says. Everyone will eat, and there will will even be some left over. And when they had given it to the people, there was plenty for all, and some left over, just as the Lord had promised. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so when you're preparing for ministry, sometimes you get formal education. You don't need formal education, by the way. I mean, the stuff we offer here at the church, Veritas College, is just as good as the stuff you pay $20,000 a year for. So I just want, let me save you $80,000 right there. But, but, you know, I got formal education and, you know, went through a form of seminary. And the stuff they teach you doesn't always translate to pastoral work. Like there's a class, here's a class that they really need to offer in seminary if people want to pastor well, food management. (laughs) Because the first 15 years of my ministry, I was ordering food all the time. I mean, just like trying to figure out, you know, it's biblical, right? Acts 2.42 says, get together and eat and talk about the Bible and pray. So I'm not saying it's unbiblical, but I'm just saying, man, you got to hit it just right. And, And you do want leftovers, so my, my grandparents are awesome. I'm, I'm thinking about my grandparents a lot this week because my, my only first cousin, he's in town. He'll be at the 1045 service, and they were frugal. You know, they, they were just, you know, you didn't order a soda when you went out to dinner with them, but they would help, like, buy you a car if you needed one. <laughs> so it, it, that's just how that was. They were awesome, awesome people, but they lived through the Depression. And so through the Depression, you're like, don't waste your food. You know, don't waste your food because food was a commodity. Uh, that was that was valuable. Now, fortunately, we we, we have in this country uh, an abundance of food. Even even in the 2008 down economic downturn and stuff, that you know people could get to food if, if they needed to. But because of that, it's like we're like don't ever have leftovers. But I'm telling you, if you're pastoring a church, you want leftovers. So you got to order just right. I might write a seminary course, Jacob. Can you get me in at Trevecca? Uh, food management for pastors. So here's an example, because I've ordered pizza for people all the time. And this is like a scientific law. I- I'm going to help you. If you don't care about the sermon, you're going to get something good here. If you're ordering pizza for adults and teenagers, it's one large for every three people. 
Count 18 people, order six pizzas. It works every time. You get just enough. You don't have to see, you, get, you, get, you don't have to look at the big football player or the little bitty scrawny girl who only eats half a cheese pizza, a piece of cheese, excuse me. It doesn't matter. You don't have to manage any of that. Just, you know, divide it by six, you know, and you got it. Divide it by three, excuse me, and you got it. So that's just how that works. So you kind of want to have just enough leftovers. I thought about this because this, this is story has powerful implications for us. Um, Because first of all, I'm just going to go ahead and get this clearly out of the way so you you know that it's happening. It's Elisha, um, hundreds of years before Jesus came, but his miracle foreshadowed Jesus feeding the 4,000 and the 5,000. Because if you go and you look at those pictures, those uh, stories in the gospel, uh, you see that Jesus had a miracle of providing food. And when Jesus had leftovers, he had it for a reason. He had it to teach something. And so Elisha, uh, part of the sign of who Jesus was, was this story about Elisha. This was happening in the time of a famine. And famine is often interpreted, especially in ancient days when we did not understand weather patterns and so forth. Uh, Famine was often interpreted as a judgment from God. And it could still be today. It isn't always, but it could be. There is biblical uh, room for that. And part of the reason the people of God were under this perceived judgment is that this part of, of where the Jewish Jews lived, the northern kingdom, they, they had a perverted type of religion. It wasn't the true Jewish faith. They blended the religion with the people, people's religions of their day. And so the priests, they, they were not operating purely or what we would call biblically. They were, they were, you know, accommodating for the people. They were trying to make everybody happy. And so when this man brought the first fruits, the first fruits always went to the temple. But he didn't bring the first fruits to the temple. This man brought the first fruits to Elisha. And he brought the first fruits to Elisha probably because he was recognizing Elisha had a pure ministry. Elisha had a God-appointed ministry. And that's just some of the background. And then maybe the Lord will use that in your life. You, you, you can take that to heart, how the Holy Spirit's talking to you. But we see that this amount of food wasn't very much. In fact, just, just kind of make a fist. If you're here in the room, if you're watching online, just make a fist. Each one of these loaves was about the size of a normal person's Fists. So it'd be a little smaller than mine because I got a big old hand, gorilla hand. But but a normal person that has a has a regular fist, it was like a roll, you would say. There were 20 of them. God used those 20 little dinner rolls to feed a hundred men. Elisha had a powerful Jesus, uh, a powerful ministry, but he wasn't Jesus. Jesus fed 5,000, not 120 or 100. But This lets you know what a miracle this is. And what I want you to see is I want you to see this morning. I want you to see some truth for your life. And then the most important part, I want you to see Jesus for this text today. Here's something that came to mind as I was studying this text. Everyone has a need. It's in your notes. You can write it down. You can find it in version. Everyone has a need. That's one of the things that, that we learn in communal life, that what happens to, to one part of our country affects the other. 
I know someone who lives on the coast, and they were telling me, I don't know if this is true, so if you're a meteorologist, don't judge me here, but, but the common man on the street told me this, that, that he's living on the coast of Texas, and all the dry stuff happening in the northwest has pulled up the moisture, and it's just rained and rained for two months there. You know, isn't it funny how even in ecologically things we do impact the rest of the world? It just, it just, we're all kind of connected that way. And in an economic system, that is the truth. In the economic system, we know that when, when a sector of the economy is impacted, eventually it's going to get to us. It starts with the business owners. They, they feel it first. And then all of the people who work for the government get it later. And that's when they get upset. I mean, I'm talking teachers, you know, when budgets are passed two or three, year later, two or three years later. So... We're all interconnected is my point here. So we're all touched by the same needs. And sometimes we feel that in macroeconomics or we feel that in a pandemic. You know, whether you were hospitalized or you never got the virus. And Lord forbid any more of us get that. Uh, we're impacted by the change of, of how we were living our lives through 2020 and now into 2021. We, we are Affected, We are impacted. And a lot of us are so self-absorbed that we think our need is so unique and so different and so greater. We just panic. That's where a lot of stress comes out. We're like, oh, no, anxiety. I'm not, I'm not belittling anxiety you can't control. But, but this sense of what is happening to me is the worst thing that's ever happened to anyone in the world. That's one of the values of, of reading biographies. The greatest biographies to read are in your Bible. And you find your Bible characters. And you find that, that life has been tough for a lot of people. And it's tough for you. Deal with it. Okay? Deal with it. You're going to get through. So I'm not belittling you. I'm encouraging you today. Deal with it. Doesn't seem encouraging, does it? But it was meant to be. Even though there's a famine in the land, God provides in the famine. Even though the system is set up for the religious elite to receive the resources, God sends this man from a place, we don't even know where it's from now. It's this Biel Shalasha. No one really knows exactly where that is, but historically, but God sent a man from a place not fully known to this day to provide for his people. I, I just want to say this, is that your medical need is, is heavy. And, you know, people only have compassion when they've experienced something. That's why we, we need to be compassionate people. Your relational challenge, I know, can feel so heavy that it's hard to get up in the morning. It's hard to breathe the next breath. I'm, I'm not belittling it. I'm saying God's going to provide for you in the famine. God's going to provide for you. If your industry is going under, you're not going with the ship. You're not going under. God is going to get you through, show you a new way. He's going to catapult you to the next era. He is control in control. Everyone has limitations. That's, that's my second point that I've been kind of making. Look again at verse 42 of 2 Kings 4. Elisha said, 
this, verse 42. Give it to the people so they can eat. What is servant exclaimed? Feed a hundred people with only this? With only 20 dinner rolls? I'm going to feed a hundred people? How many know that when we are aware of our limitations, we're like, you know, I didn't have great parents. I didn't get a chance to, to get a formal education. You know, I'm not, I wasn't born on the right side of the tracks, the right part of town. I, we, we begin to, we begin to get focused on ourselves and we stop being generous. We, we quit giving away. We, kept, we, we quit caring for those around us. And God says, I want you to be aware of your limitation in your environment. And I'm going to tell you, give, give, <laughs> give. Hey, I'm not taking up an offering today, so don't worry about that. We're not starting a building campaign. We still need a few hundred people before we do that. So your, your money is safe because I'm talking about something else right now. I'm talking about your heart, your energy, your attitude, your enthusiasm, the essence of who you are. I'm so glad we have teaching on burnout, which isn't necessarily a spiritual word, but Sabbath is a good thing, a very good thing. We'll teach you on that, having proper rest, all that's good. All that's good. But we rest one day, so we work six days. (laughs) Y'all get that? We don't rest six days and work one day. And the Lord is calling some of you to get to work for him, to get to work for the kingdom, to start giving, to take what you have seen as a limit, what you can see with your natural eyes and say, you know, in the natural, it's like, I want to hoard. I want to keep this to myself. I want to keep my energy I want to keep my relationships really tight because I don't have room for new relationships. That happens when you cross about 40. You're like, I spent 40 years making friends. I've got enough. <laughs> no, man. There's something fresh. God, God says, come on, give away your friendship. Give away that bread. Give away those rolls. Give away your energy. I mean, the Lord can only renew that which you give away. <laughs> that's, that's what makes it, you know, that, that's, that's where his renewal comes in. He's strong when we're weak. I want to tell you, I, I've been, I've gotten tired doing a lot of things in life. But there's something different when you're tired after six days of rest and you're at the seventh day of rest. Because that is important. All right, don't, don't, don't get all worried and Send me texts later thinking I'm, I'm a hard driver here. I'm just giving you another, another angle. After that sixth day of rest, man, it feels good to be tired for God because you've given everything. And maybe to your family, you've done it. You, you, you've, you've given everything to your family. You've given everything for an event. You've given everything in intercession. You've given everything in preparation. And, and you're just like, man, it's good to be a little tired right now. It's good to be a little tired because I'm spending everything for the Lord. So let me ask you this question. What's your limitation? Because it's a perceived limitation. Is it a relational limitation? Single people, we don't need you to walk in insecurity. We need you to walk in confidence. You're not half 
a person because you're not currently married. Our, our world, listen, our world is couples oriented, unfortunately, and that's all fine when you're married, but wait until you become a widow or a widower, wait until you go through a divorce or wait until maybe your spouse doesn't want to participate. And all of a sudden, you'll have compassion for single people that you didn't have before. And some of us, we need to look outside the couple's bubble and include singles in, the life, in, in, in our life. So now, singles, I'll go back to you. Don't walk in insecurity. Walk in confidence because you have something to give. You have something wonderful to gift, not because of your singleness, but because of your humanness, because of your call, because of your anointing, because of the essence of who you are. What's your limitations financially? Well, you know that, the old illustration, you know, I'd do all this if I won the lottery. No, you wouldn't. You'd waste your money then, too. Balance your budget. Say no to something. Listen, by the end of this year, if you don't say no to something you want to do, you're not going to be healthy financially in the future. I didn't hear any amens to that. I'm just joking. <laughs> I missed it in the notes or whatever. It's like, like uh, we, we just got off an awesome vacation, an expensive vacation. You know, and my son, we've had some plans for the fall. And he's like, are we going to do it in the fall? I'm like, I don't know. You're asking me the wrong week. I just got off vacation. I'm not ready to talk about a different vacation. The bills haven't rolled in yet, and they haven't been paid yet. But somewhere along the way, I'm going to have to tell my kids, no, and I have. And you're going to have to tell yourself no. No to the deal you can't pass up. Right? No to the deal you can't pass up. So here's my point, though, back to the sermon. There are no financial limitations with God. There's wisdom with God, but there's not limitations. I want to tell you something. Our church, if God calls us to do something, we move forward and do it knowing that he's going to provide. That doesn't mean we walk in ignorance. It doesn't mean that, that we don't say no, but we move forward. I mean, we had this awesome conference Sunday and Monday, and it, it was great. And it wasn't in the budget. I mentioned it to the board at, at a meeting. And then I just stepped out in faith and just said, I mean, the Lord just said, do it. The, the, the Lord, do it. Wrong time of year. Time of year when expenses are the lowest, excuse me, expenses are the highest, giving's the lowest. And the Lord said to do it. And honestly, a few days before the conference, I was like, oh man, did I make a mistake? that I make a mistake, and I will make mistakes again. But man, I would, I, what the Lord did for those of us who were able to participate in the Refresh Conference, you can't put a dollar amount on. And I just put that this was, this was the Lord speaking to us as a leadership team to just do it. And, 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 and this one specifically, it was more on me. It was more on me. I was just like, I gotta do, so here's my point, back to my point. <laughs> I keep saying that, that's, that's the worrisome. <laughs> for the sermon. Uh, if God's called you to do something, financial limitations won't stop you. Don't say tomorrow when he's called you to do it today. Walk in wisdom, but don't walk in fear of scarcity because he will provide. Some of you have physical limitations and, 
And I'm very, very hesitant to talk here because physical limitations are, are something so personal. But all I want to remind you of this is some of the greatest people that we know in history had major physical limitations that they didn't let stop their call, including the Apostle Paul, who most likely had some kind of eye problem. He even said, it's grotesque when you see me in the face. And he said, you know, I'm having a hard time writing. Other people are writing for me. So Paul may have had some kind of eye issue that was problematic. And then we're aware here in the 21st century, like people have never been aware of, of emotional and mental health issues. And your God is with you in those. Your call is not over. If you've received a diagnosis, all that is is information to be aware of. It is not a statement over your life. And it is not your identity. Your identity is not anxiety. It is not depression. It is not bipolar. It is not schizophrenia. Those are things we need to be aware of and we can deal with. But that is not who you are. That's just an explanation of something you're dealing with. And God can move beyond your limitation. So here's what I want to say to all of that. Go back to verse 42. Elisha said, give it to the people so they can eat. And this is what I just get a sense from the Lord this morning. That some of you are holding back yourselves because you've limited yourself emotionally You've limited yourself physically. You've limited yourself because of your education status or your perception of that. You've limited yourself because of, of something that you have labeled yourself as. And the Lord says, give your gift. Give your talent. And here, here's what I want you to hear most of all. Give your love. Give your love. Love your spouse. Love your parents. Love your children. There's risk when you love. And so we withhold our love. I'm calling you guys to love this spiritual family. Love this church. Risk again. Put your heart on the line. Give your devotion and your energy and your talent to take the risk necessary. Give your love. Verse 43, we say, what? Feed 100 people with only this? That's... God is going to do a hundred times what you can think if you trust him. A hundred times what you think is possible in a famine. And I believe that our church is at the healthiest place it's ever been. I believe that. Yes, we have less people than we did in 2019 in the building. But I'm going to tell you this. The people who are coming now are not consumers. They're not looking to be impressed. They're looking to serve. They're looking to get involved in prayer. They're looking to get involved in ministry. There's a fresh wind. There's a new love for scripture. There's a new call to community. There is a shaking. There is a reckoning. There is a gathering. There is a feeling. The superficiality of cultural Christianity is being burned out. It's being burned out. And I, as a pastor, want everyone to stay in the fold. So I'm not excited about the people who are no longer part of the community. And I hope they come back. 
whether it's a 242 group or the youth service, I don't have to have them sitting here for my validation, but I want them to be in the family. I want them to be part of, of the love of the Father and the, the fellowship, the koinonia, the, the fellowship that comes from the Holy Spirit that you can't get through a civic club or you can't get from the bleachers watching your kids play sports. It's not a replacement for the fellowship from the Holy Spirit. And this, this is what we have. This is what we treasure. And this is what Satan is attacking. This is what Satan is trying to, to marginalize the church and to get people to emphasize the weakness of the church. But how many know that God takes the weak things and his power rests on the weak things? Yes, the church is corrupt. Yes, we make mistakes. Yet, yes, we have organizational issues that need to be improved and that, that we are not you know, above accusation, but God has chosen us as the big church and he is going to let his kingdom come through that. Here's the last point I'm gonna make, just to organize the scripture. Everyone has enough. And when they gave it to the people, there was plenty for all and some left over. Look at verse 44. When they gave it to the people, there was plenty for all and some left over just as the Lord had promised. And I, I, want, I want you to start giving your ideas and your creativity and your resources. I want you to start giving your connections. I want you to start giving your energy and your time without fear of energy management. Now, if you're a person of Sabbath and follow God's way, you'll be able to manage your energy. So hear that, hear that qualifier. But this fear we have that we're going to run out and we're going to live in scarcity. Hey, step in to the things that God's called you to do. Step into the things God has called you to give. Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25 says, one person gives freely yet gains more. Here's a word of wisdom. Another withholds what is right only to become poor. Verse 25, a generous person will be enriched and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. So I just want to encourage you, watch the supernatural come into your life when you're, a, when you're a giver. And I'm talking about a giver of energy, a giver of time, a giver to the kingdom of God. Not a taker, but a giver. Man, I see that in some of you so much. I can't believe what some of you accomplish. But the more you give, the more God supplies and he gives you even more. So that was about you. Let's talk about Jesus for a little bit. As we come to a close here, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says it this way. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. How many know that's God's will for your life is that you not sin? It's not just God's will that we know where to get forgiveness from sin. We get forgiveness of sin so we won't sin again. So be encouraged in that. It's God's will for you not to sin. It's God's will for you not to accept sin as part of your nature, but to allow him to give you a new nature and transform you. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is, here's a good seminary word for you if you need one today, out of our ESV, which is very close to the King James Version. He is the propitiation. Sins. That just feels important, doesn't it? 
propitiation of our sins, not only ours, but for the sin of the whole world. What does that mean? Let's look at the NLT, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the only one who is truly righteous. Verse 2. He himself is, this is what propitiation means, the sacrifice that atones for our sins. That word propitiation was very important in idol worship in the Greek world and this idea of of something paying the price for another. The sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only, listen, this is the cool part. Not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. So here's the deal. Some of you are so happy that Jesus saved you from hell, but you just hope the rest of the world goes to hell. Hey, that's not the type of Jesus that saved me. Because the propitiation is not only for us, but there's no limit, it's for the whole world. Anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus, no other name, no other way, but anyone who calls upon the name of of Jesus will be saved because he paid the price for us all. That's the generosity of our Lord. This barbaric act upon the cross. It's an execution of just another criminal in the eyes of the world. Jesus of Nazareth, he thought he was the king of the Jews. It's another execution of a bad person. It's just like 20 little loaves of bread. But in the famine, those 20 loaves of bread fed a hundred, which spoke to Jesus feeding the 5,000, which spoke to Jesus being the bread of life. We spoke to the cross and the resurrection that takes us to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, that says Jesus didn't just die for, the, for just a little person, just, a, just a, a special person. He died for the whole world. He died for the whole world. That way, everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. Jesus is for everybody. And that's why we have a message to share and to give. Now let's stand together. Let's stand together and invite the presence of the Lord to be with us. I'm going to ask that our, our leaders and pastors who are serving communion begin to prepare for that. He is worthy. He is worthy of it all. Oh, you've been invited today to be in relationship with Jesus. Every single one of you. Jesus is not for the elite. Jesus is not for those who have somehow... Uh, become self-disciplined. Jesus is for us all. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and, and I, want you, I want to invite you to Jesus today. And you can get to Jesus a lot of different ways. One of the ways is through the sacrament of communion. And we have these self-contained communion packets that have the bread and cup together. But also we invite people here to the front and Pastor Deborah will give you bread. You can put your hand out. She'll put the bread in your hand. And then you can go to the right to Daniel, another one of our pastors, and he can, he can give you a, a cup if you want an individual cup. And Beth, another one of our pastors is to your left, and she, she will offer you a cup if you want to take my intention, and you can dip the bread into the cup, and you can take it in that manner. Uh, Jacob, he'll be here to your left if you want special prayer. 
They just need prayer about anything in your life. I'll be here to your right if you want special prayer. Some of you may want to go back into your Bibles and mark those scriptures, or you might want to identify those scriptures. You may want to pray with someone you came with today. Uh, You don't have to take communion, but everyone's welcome to take communion. Anyone who believes in Jesus is welcome to take communion. And that's how we affirm our faith, but it's more than symbolic. I believe biblically the presence of the Lord is in the elements. And so there's no telling what could happen. And I just want to say this. I I said this a few weeks ago, but we've got a way. If if Deborah or Beth or Daniel have a word for you or a word of encouragement, just take your time. If you're standing behind someone and it takes 40 seconds before you get the bread, just call us. It's all right. We're not in a big hurry. We specifically design these services so we have time to respond. And so the Lord may may give one of our leaders a, a, a message from God for you or just an encouragement or just a scripture that comes to mind. And so, so be ready to receive. Be ready to receive that. Uh, if you need to be anointed with oil, there's some, I think, yeah, there's, there's some right there, Jacob. We, we, we'll anoint you with oil. Come to the left, to the right. We'll anoint you with oil to, if you need healing in your body. Let's believe God for that. So, Father, we are confessional people. We confess our sins to you right now. And Lord, I, I just ask you to do that right now. And man, if you're aware of a sin you have, just confess it to the Lord. It doesn't belong there. He redeemed you from that sin. He paid the price for that sin. He was a propitiation. He was the atoning sacrifice for that sin. Just give it to the Lord right now. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not man, it's not who you are anyway. It's, it's give it to the Lord. So Father, we surrender that to you. We confess our sins to you. I want to ask that everyone would repeat after me, if you're willing, say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I repent of sin. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your righteousness. I want to be in friendship with you, family. No need to repeat now. Father, you've heard this family confess sins before you. Now we respond and we invite your presence to be with us as we worship you in Jesus' name. Table of the Lord is open. We're open to pray with you. Let's spend some time with the Lord today.